Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Those of you who have your Bibles here, you're welcome to open with me at Matthew 6. I'm busy with a series on the Our Father prayer. We've been um, doing that for a couple of weeks. And I just want to continue sharing around, around that. I'm just going to read a few verses from Matthew 6. And just read from, from verse 8 where it says, Do not be like them. Um, speaking about the um, so-called um, hypocrites and, and pagans. It's, uh, Jesus says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to focus on on that last verse um, this morning. Give us this day our daily bread. And uh, it's interesting. That's probably the verse that, um, that, uh, or the part of the prayer that most people want to get to. (laughs) Okay, Lord, now that we're focused on you, let's focus on me. Now that we're focused on what, uh, um, you know, who you are and um, your glory and so on, let's, let's, let's get to, to my shopping list. <laughs> and the danger, of course, of that part of the prayer, the first danger is that, um, you know, we, we never get there and we, we um, are afraid, don't have the boldness to ask God uh, for what we need. James 4 uh, I think it's verse three says you, you, uh, verse two says you have not because you ask not, so we must ask. Uh, but the other danger is that we get there too quickly in our prayer, <laughs> that we just jump in and start with our shopping list uh, before we meditate on who God is and and acknowledge who God is. Now, it's interesting. In we hear the phrase "Give us this day our daily bread," and it's it's sort of become a metaphorical, uh, idiomatic statement, daily bread. Um, but we don't appreciate, as modern people, the, the symbolism of daily bread as much as ancient people did. Because for most of us, um, the danger of going hungry and going, sleeping, uh, going to bed without food, uh, f- most of us are sort of middle-class people. It's not that great a danger. Whereas in Jesus' time, in first century Israel, it was a massive danger. Often, whole families went to sleep without any food, without um, anything. So, so there, there was a daily rhythm of making and consuming bread. Um, so much so that, in fact, there's this um, verse in Deuteronomy. Let me just read that to you. Deuteronomy 24 um, which says that you're not allowed to take, if you, if you borrow money to, some, to someone, you're not allowed to take their millstone as a pledge. Let me just read that to you. It's in verse 6. Um, it says, Do not take a pair of millstones, not even the upper one, as security for a debt, because that would be taking a man's livelihood as security. Literally, it says that would be taking a man's life as security. So, how it worked in, in, um, in Moses' time and even in Jesus' time was that if you did not work that day, most people were so poor that if they didn't work, they, they had no food for that day for themselves or for their families. And that's why um, this scripture in Deuteronomy says, you know, when you borrow someone some money, don't take their millstone as a pledge because every day they're going to need that millstone to grind some grain to make flour so that they can make bread so that their family can eat. So, so when it speaks about daily bread, it's speaking about a daily necessity, what we need to survive, what we need to live, in a way that Jesus' audience understood far more than we do. Um, if you've experienced the hunger of you know, the pain of, of going to bed hungry and not having food to eat, then, then you realize, um, you know, what a big deal this is and what, what an emotional call this is on the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. But, but it's more than that. Um, I remember when I was younger at school, I uh, at one stage used to drive my bicycle and then deliver newspapers. 
Um, and it, it's obviously early in the morning that you do it, you know. I think it was around half past four where I went past this one bakery. And obviously they do the baking in the morning, you know, for the day. And it was excruciating to go by that bakery because you get you, yeah, half past four, five o'clock, you get there and there's the smell of freshly baked bread. And when you're hungry, there's nothing that smells as nice as freshly baked bread. Have you ever... Some of you will know this, you know. Have you ever fasted for a couple of days? And when you fast, it, you, your senses become much more sensitive. Your, 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 your sense of, of taste and smell becomes a lot more sensitive. I mean, you, 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 um, if you then take a, a piece of warmly baked bread and you, you sort of break it open and that aroma of the bread hits you, I mean, there's nothing as good as that. It, it, bread smells good. It tastes good. It is good. You know, it, it really it fills you. And that's the picture that Jesus is creating here when he says, give us this day our daily bread. God giving us what we desperately need every day, but also what is enjoyable to us, what is good for us, what sustains us. Um, so that's the, 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 the picture of daily bread. And um, the whole prayer, but especially this phrase, give us this day our daily bread, is, is, is a confession and an expression of trust in God. Trust in God. That's why we say, give us this day our daily bread. So I just want to highlight a few things from this prayer. Um, and all of them relate to trusting God. Because when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're expressing our trust in God. We're saying, God, you're our provider. You know, it's so easy for us to think. It's so easy for us to think that what we have and the meeting of our needs is because of what we do. And to see ourselves as the source of our provision. As modern people, it's very easy for us to do. But it wasn't... It was as easy for ancient people. I mean, in Deuteronomy 10, um, the Lord says, listen, I'm going to give you the promised land. You're about to go into the promised land now. You're going to get houses that you did not build, vineyards that you did not plant, etc., etc. And, and he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you in order to establish my covenant with you. But when I have done that, make sure you don't forget the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to obtain wealth. So often we forget that it, even the, our ability to, to earn stuff that meets our needs comes from God Himself. He gives us the strength. He keeps us healthy. He gives us the ability, the, the talents that we need to do work and to earn money with it. Everything comes from Him. He is our provider. And we so easily forget that. Uh, but this prayer, this daily prayer daily reminds us that God is our provider. He, if we want daily bread, we need to ask it from God and we need to receive it from God. He's the one that gives us our daily bread. Okay, so just a few things I, I want to um, highlight from the scriptures. Uh, we need to trust God, number one, for, from a childlike humility. Number two, as our heavenly father. Number three, as our ultimate treasure. Number four, uh, for his continuing provision. Uh, number five, for his deeper provision. And number six, for his ultimate provision. So let's just look at those very briefly. The first one, in, in chapter six, um, verse eight, it says, um, Do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. God already knows what we need better than we know ourselves. Just like any parent, you know, of a three year old knows what that three year old needs better than the three year old does. Okay? And we need to trust God like that. We need to trust God as our Father who knows our needs. Now, um, some of you might ask, but okay, if God knows what I need before I ask Him, why do I need to ask? Why do I need to ask? Um, good question. Fair question. Um, I would say we need to ask to remind ourselves that we need God. To remind ourselves of what we need. You see, God knows what we, what we need, but sometimes we don't know what we need. And we don't always remember who we need it from. So we need, we, we need that daily discipline of asking God to, for our sakes, confess and express our dependence on Him, even for our most basic needs. We need that. And the reality is, um, any parent 
who loves their child, loves to give to their child, loves to bless their child, loves to take care of their child. And when, even though God is an is a, is a all-knowing parent who knows everything that we need, He gives us the opportunity of asking Him and having that interaction of um, letting Him meet our needs and then being thankful for Him. Um, now, good parents, good parents always make a distinction between the need, the actual need, and the request. And the request is just an interpretation of that need. Okay? So good parents know how to make a distinction between the actual need and the request of the child, which is the child's interpretation of that need. So sometimes a child would have a legitimate need but then interpret it wrongly and ask for the wrong thing. Okay? Um, let's use a silly example. Um, three-year-old comes to me and says, uh, Dad, um, I'm bored. Let's go and play outside and, and throw each other with stones. That would be a nice game that would um, solve my boredom problem. <laughs> now, the, the need, the boredom, is a real a legitimate need. I, I, you know, I, I have the need for some excitement, you know, something interesting to happen in my life. But the, the request, you know, let's go and play and throw one another with stones and, you know, play a... That's, I mean, obviously, if I'm a good father, I'm not going to give in to the request. I'm going to say, um, I'm, I'm going to discern the legitimate need behind the wrong request. And I'm going to say, okay, I can see my child is bored. I've got, I've got to, you know, I want to play with him. But throwing stones not going to be part of the game because that's not going to, um, it might be exciting for a while until you get hit, you know. Then it's not going to be so exciting anymore. <laughs> it's going to create more needs than it's going to, it's going to satisfy. So, you know, if, if that is true for earthly parents, how much more is it true for God, the perfect heavenly parent? God is a good enough father to discern the legitimate need behind the illegitimate request. And as Tim Keller uh, says, I've quoted him a, a few times saying this, God will always give us uh, what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. God will always give us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. And that is the childlike humility with which we must trust God. We must trust him in, you know, in, in a childlike, um, with a childlike humility of saying, God, you are my father. You know what I need, what I really need before I even ask you. Okay, so that's the first level of trust there needs to be. So secondly, uh, we need to trust God as our heavenly father. Um, let me just read you a, a verse from um, just the next chapter. This prayer is in, in Matthew chapter 6. I just want to read you a, a verse from Matthew chapter 7, which I think is um, very relevant to this. Uh, Matthew 7 from verse 9, it says to about 11, it says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, give us this day our daily bread, if your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, now to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, so he's saying, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little bit shocking actually. He's, he's basically saying, you know, even the best parents among us, the best parents among us know how to give good gifts to our children. But he says, even, even the best parents among us are evil compared to God. God is perfect. I mean, it's, 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 it's sort of, a, sort of a, just a by-the-way statement, you know. That's not the main point Jesus is trying to make. But he says, if you then, being evil, it's like, whoa. <laughs> he sort of always says it by the way. If you then, and, and by the way, you know you're evil, you know, compared to God. You know, God is so good. He's so early. He's perfect. Compared to him, we're all evil. If we then, as in Jesus' words, evil human beings, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? 
How much more? You know, if that is true for very imperfect earthly parents, how much more is that true for a perfect heavenly parent? God will give us good gifts and He'll only give us good gifts. Everything that God gives us is a good gift. The, the problem is that so often we don't want a father in heaven as much as we want a genie in a bottle. Isn't that so? <laughs> we don't want a father in heaven as much as we want a genie in a bottle. Because, you see, the genie in a bottle, you can rub the bottle, you can rub the lamp, the genie comes out and he has to, these are the rules, he has to give you three wishes, you know. And whatever you wish for, whether it's good for you or not, the genie has to give it. And so often we try and treat God like a genie in a lamp. And prayer is my time when I rub the lamp and expect the genie to come out and grant my wishes. God is not a genie in a lamp. He's a father in heaven. Whereas a genie in a lamp will give you everything you wish for, a father in heaven will not always give you everything you wish for, not always give you everything you ask for, but he'll always give you something better. God will always give you what you ask for or something better. He'll always give you what you ask for or what you would have asked for if you knew what he knew, if you knew what was best for you. Um, I, I quoted this before, but C.S. Lewis says, I, I like it, he says, um, what we actually want is not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who will give us whatever we want whenever we want it, you know. Um, and God is not that. He's a father in heaven will give us what is best for us. will give us what is best for us. So we need to trust Him as our Father in heaven. Um, just think about this. I mean, imagine a, a five-year-old, you know, getting a, you know, hypothetical genie's lamp and rubbing the lamp and the genie comes out. I mean, if that ever happens, you better run. <laughs> you better hide because that five-year-old is going to wish for all the wrong stuff. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be a mess, you know. And, and the reality is sometimes we think that we outgrow that foolishness of asking for the wrong things. But we will always be children of God. Even the most mature and spiritual of us sometimes ask for the wrong things. Let me give you a biblical example. In 2 Corinthians <clears throat> can't remember the chapter. I think it's around chapter 9 or something. Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. He says, because of the greatness of the revelations I got, I was sent a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me, to keep me humble. Now, that's a very confusing scripture to many of us. Now, it, it tells us, you know, one thing that it does tell us is a, a thorn in the flesh is something in your flesh, in your body, that a thorn hurts, okay? That hurts you. So it was some other hurt or pain in his body. Some other affliction. And it's called a messenger from Satan, Nochals. Okay, that, that is a bit confusing. And we'd think, okay, if it's something in my flesh that's hurting me, then surely it can't be from God. And, and, and if it's a messenger from Satan, Nochals, it can't be from God. And he said, I asked three times for this thing to be taken away. And God said, no, every time. And you know what God said to Paul? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my, perfect, my, my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So God refers to this thing, which is clearly called a thorn in the flesh and a messenger from Satan, as God's sufficient grace for Paul to keep him humble. You think the devil wants to keep Paul humble? No. God's grace through this painful, uncomfortable thing was, is, was necessary to keep Paul humble. Now, we look at that like Paul, and Paul is an apostle, by the way, probably more mature and more spiritual than all of us, right? But like Paul, we'd look at that situation and say, surely this cannot be from God. Surely this cannot be God's best for me. And yet God says, no, Paul, you don't know what you need as I know what you need. You see, so often God will send things into our lives that we'll ask many times, repeatedly, like Paul did, Lord, take this away from me. Because like, even like Paul, the apostle, 
so mature, so spiritual. Even at that level of maturity, we don't know always what we need. And we don't know what is best for us like God knows what's best for us. And we know, uh, the, the point is we need to trust God as our Father, that He actually knows what's best for us, and that His grace actually is sufficient for us, and that what He does give us will work together for our good. That His strength will be made perfect in weakness. And even when He gives us what we don't want, that it's still a good gift. And you can only trust that if He's a really a good Father and really a Almighty Father who controls everything and who will not let you down. Uh, let, let me just, I, I know some of you are going to struggle with this, so let me just give you another more contemporary example. Um, some of you will know Smith Wigglesworth. Anyone ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? M- amazing man of faith. Um, uh, healed thousands, maybe, you know, even tens of thousands of people, raised a couple of dozen people from the dead. Um, used mightily by God to, to, to preach his word, the gospel, in, in many different continents in the world. A simple, I think, was it, what was he, a plumber? What was, is, that, is that right? He was a plumber? Um, and, you know, not, a, not at all a highly educated man. I think his wife taught him to read, and he only read the Bible all his life. Um, but, but he, um, for instance, uh, when he was older... He was traveling and ministering uh, everywhere with, with his son-in-law. And his son-in-law actually writes this testimony. I can't remember the guy's name. But he says, at that stage, for a period of six years, Smith Wigglesworth had kidney stones. And he said he'd come home from a crusade where he prayed for, for dozens or even hundreds of people who got healed. And, and I mean miraculously healed spectacular healings and he'd come home and when he when he you know got into the shower his 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 underpants were full of blood because of these kidney stones full of blood and and over a period of six years he passed hundreds of kidney stones (laughs) and he asked god many times to heal him of this and when he asked god to heal other people God healed them, but when he, when he asked God to heal him, for some other reason, God didn't heal him. And I think it was a similar situation to Paul's thorn in the flesh. But what the son-in-law said was he never lost his faith in healing because, I mean, it was, God was using him mightily in healing in other people's lives. But for some other reason, God was allowing this. But what he did do is it... It gave him a level of compassion for the people he was praying for that he never had before. Because he knew their pain. I mean, I've, I've never had kidney stones. I praise God for that. But I'm told it's very painful. And somehow God thought it necessary, sufficient grace, for Smith Wigglesworth to, little by little, you know, break off those kidney stones and, and let him actually pass them. I think he, if I, if I remember correctly, actually gathered them in a bottle and at the end of the six years he had a whole big bottle full of little kidney stones that he had passed. Very painfully. But this gave him such an amazing, intense empathy and sympathy and compassion for the people who were suffering with sickness that God could use him, you know, orders of magnitude more powerful than before. Can you, can you see that God knows what we need more than we do? And we, know, we need to trust Him as our Father. Um, you know, not, not as a genie in a bottle. Okay, number three, uh, we must trust God as our ultimate treasure. Let me just read um, this quote from John Stott. He says, In the second half of the Lord's Prayer, the, positive, uh, the possessive adjective changes from your, your kingdom come, your will be done, to our, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins. Um, as we turn from God's affairs to our own, having expressed our burning concern for His glory, we now express our humble dependence on His grace. So there's a change that happens from your will be done on earth as it is in heaven to give us this day our daily bread. And it's a, f- a shift of focus from focusing on God to focusing on us. But, but here's the point. We need to focus on God before we focus on us. We need to come through our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, before we can rightly pray, give us this day our daily bread. If we cannot, what does it mean to, to say hallowed be your name? To hallow something, something is holy or hallowed if it's revered or set apart. So when we say hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, we want to set you apart as our ultimate concern, the thing that we ultimately reverence, the thing that we ultimately treasure. We want to set you apart as our greatest treasure. Now, unless we have first set God apart as our greatest treasure, made God the center of our lives, as we sang in that song, if God is not at the center of our lives, something else will be. And whatever is at the center of our lives, whatever we hallow, whatever is our, our ultimate concern, will determine what we think is daily bread. Will determine what we think we need, what we cannot live without. Right? Because if, if we idolize, say I idolize success, then I'm, to me, daily bread is going to have everything to do with my, with my work environment. The things that I think I need most are going to be the things around my work because that's, I idolize success. That's at the center of my life. That's my ultimate concern. That's what I hallow. And everything I'm asked for as daily bread is going to center around my work, around my idol, around my ultimate concern. So can you see that I cannot rightly pray, give, uh, we cannot rightly pray, give us this day our daily bread unless we have first rightly played, prayed, hallowed be your name. Unless our lives are centered around God and He's our ultimate concern, He's what we hallow, we will always ask for the wrong things. We'll always ask for the wrong things. So we need to go through um, all the other stuff. So the danger with uh, give us this day our daily bread is that we may get to it too quickly. We need to go through hallowed be your name in order to get to give us this day our daily bread. Um, and if God is our ultimate concern, our ultimate treasure, we'll ask for the... If, sorry, if God is not our ultimate concern and our ultimate treasure, we'll ask for the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Uh, let me just read you one verse. I think, in fact, I think I have it up there. Uh, James 4, verse 2 and 3. There we go. Uh, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, if I hallow myself, if I am at the center of my life, if I am my own greatest concern, then I'm going to only ask for stuff that are going to make me feel good and comfortable to spend it on my pleasures. So I need to make that shift from having myself at the center of my life and just praying for the, for the wrong things for the wrong reason, to having God at the center of my life, and then asking for the right things for the right reason. Okay, so we need to trust God as our ultimate treasure. Uh, number four, we, uh, we need to trust God for continued provision. As modern pe Western people, we'd actually like to ask God for not our daily bread, but our annual bread. <laughs> All right? <laughs> now, the problem with bread is bread doesn't stay fresh that long in any case. But the problem is um, we so often effectively, I mean, we don't say it in, 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 in these words because if we said it in these words, we'd realize how wrong it is. We'd, we'd, we'd realize, we'd hear it and say, no, that sounds wrong. But effectively what we say is, Lord, I'm trusting you to bless me so much that I never have to trust you for anything again. Lord, I'm trusting you. To bless me to such an extent that I never have to trust you for anything again. And when you say it like that, you realize, okay, <laughs> that's not a wise prayer to pray. Because if I pray that effectively, what I'm asking for is a dam, not a fountain. In our asking, so often we ask for a dam instead of rejoicing in the fountain that we have. Did you see a dam when the water stands still? Eventually the water, you know, there's not enough movement. It goes stale. It goes off. But a fountain, the water's always fresh. 
Do you want a dam or do you want a fountain? Naturally, in our humanness, we want a dam. Because the dam, you can see all the water. It's there. With a fountain, it's always coming out, but you, you have to trust that it's going to continue coming out. We're more comfortable with the dam. And we'll go and water ski on the dam. And we'll go and swim in the dam. <laughs> we'll drink from the dam. We'll show our friends our great dam. <laughs> God wants to be our fountain. You see, it's, it's no... In fact, if God gives us, answers a prayer like that, where He blesses us so much that we never have to trust Him again, He's actually not blessing us. He's actually not blessing us. He's actually doing us harm. Because He's allowing us to put our trust in, in, in something other than Him. Because if, if God is your fountain, you have to keep trusting Him. But if you have a dam... You no longer need God. The dam can become your God. You see? So, um, it's a little bit like, um, just bring up that scripture, Proverbs 30 and, and, and Exodus 16. Um, Proverbs 30 verse 8. Um, and remember, Proverbs is wisdom literature. These are, you know, mostly Solomon, but some other guys as well, that God gave special, supernatural wisdom to. To ask for the right things and to, to say what are the wise things. Uh, so, so here's the, the point of this, this verse, Proverbs 30 verse 8. What is the wise thing to ask for in terms of provision? Here we see. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Give me neither poverty or riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. If I'm too poor, I'm going to be tempted to steal. But if I'm too rich... And I don't have the strength to deal with those riches. I might trust in those riches. And that's why Jesus says, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And we want to make that eye of the needle, you know, we want to say, no, there was a, a gate in, in one of the gates in Jerusalem that they called the eye of the needle. <laughs> you know? And, and, and a camel could only go through it if, if it sort of took off, you know, it's, it's load, you know. And when the big gate was closed, they could open the eye of the needle. There was never such a gate. <laughs> the first time you read of such a gate was in the 10th century when some other um, churchman called Theophilac made it up because <laughs> the scripture caused him the same problems that it caused for, uh, causes for us, you know, and for the disciples. Who then can be saved, they said. <laughs> and Jesus' answer is, what is impossible for man is possible with God. The point is, Jesus has a literal needle in mind there. Just as difficult as it is for a literal camel to go through the eye of a literal needle, so impossible it is for a rich person to be saved. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. So God can save rich people. I mean, many of us is, are evidence of that, right? Praise God for that. He can, he can do that. But, but, but think about this. Jesus never says it's more difficult for an adulterer to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He never says it's more difficult for a murderer <laughs> to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But he does say it's more difficult for a rich man. So, here's the thing. And obviously different people can handle different levels of, of riches and be, some people can steward riches well without being corrupted and, and that's a gift from God. And we, we praise him for that. But some people can't. And the point is, we need to trust God and say, God, give me neither poverty or riches. Give me what I need. Give me what I need to fulfill my calling. And we, that's wise to ask that way. Give me my daily bread. Um, in in um, Exodus 16, verse 4, it says, um, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. They must go out and gather a day's portion every day. Give me this day my daily bread, my day's bread. Can you see the, the analogy with the manna in the, in the wilderness? In other words, the picture that God is creating is that we are like the Israelites who have been redeemed from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt, and we in the desert on the way to the promised land. We're not... We haven't yet arrived in the promised land, but we're in the desert, and we're dependent on God. And God wants to take care of us from day to day in a supernatural way. And when we're asking 
Give us this day our daily bread. We're asking, as it were, for our daily manna. So, Matthew 6, verse 34. Let me just read that as well. Um, Well-known scripture. It says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough, has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't worry about tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread. So here's the thing. We must learn to trust God so much that we ask Him to meet our needs and provide for us in such a way that we have to continue to trust Him every day. Every day. That's the wise way to ask. And that's the best way to ask. So our daily bread means that we trust God for continuous provision. And fifthly, for deeper provision. Um, it's interesting, this uh, N.T. Wright says, this kingdom prayer isn't a prayer for our desires, our hunger, to be taken away. Many other religions, Buddhism, Islam, whatever, you name it, ask for desires to be taken away. This is not a prayer for our desires or our hunger to be taken away. It's very interesting. But for our desires to be met, for our hunger to be satisfied. Now, C.S. Lewis says something interesting. He says, the fact that we get hungry does not guarantee that we will be filled. But the fact that we get hungry guarantees that there is such a thing as bread that can fill us. Now, it's our needs is proof that there is a thing that can meet those needs. And here's the thing. Our needs go deeper than just the physical. Our physical hunger is just a picture of the deeper spiritual hunger. The hunger and thirst for righteousness. The hunger for something deeper, something more lasting, something more deeply satisfying than just filling our stomachs. Because your stomach can be full, and you can no longer be hungry, but... You're still in need. There's still some deep needs that are unmet. And sometimes we want to go the way of the world and say our needs, our desires, our hungers are a problem. God must take them away. Sometimes we think that God has a problem with our needs. With our desires. Our desires are too strong. I mean, think about Christianity throughout the, you know, church history. So often it was like, just, you know, don't feel too passionate. Don't enjoy something too much. In fact, you know, don't dance because you might just enjoy it, you know. (laughs) Don't, you know, you must be very stoic and dispassionate and, um, you know, deny that you have every need, you know, sort of. I don't see that in the Bible. I see that in modern philosophy. I don't see it in the Bible. In fact, C.S. Lewis says, God does not find our desires too strong. On the contrary, He finds them too weak. We are too easily satisfied with too little. We're like little kids um, satisfied to wallow in the mud and bake mud cakes when the ocean and the sands of the sea are there waiting for us. We're too easily satisfied. And so often we're satisfied with too little, with the things of this world. And, and that's why Jesus says, um, when, when he's tempted by Satan, you know, turn these stones into bread in the wilderness, when he was 40 days in the wilderness, like Israel was 40 years in the desert. What does Jesus do? He quotes from Deuteronomy 8 where it talks about the manna and says, uh, God says to, to Moses, uh, you know, uh, Moses says to the people, God gave you manna to test you, so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, the daily bread, the physical bread that we ask for and that we need is just a picture of a deeper need. We need the word of God. To meet those deeper needs. The physical bread that God will give us in answer to our prayer will only go so far to meet our needs. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, don't ask for food that perishes, for bread that perishes, but ask for the bread that leads to eternal life. 
that meets the deeper need. That meets the deeper need. Ask for that. And that is the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We don't, we don't understand, we don't appreciate how deeply we need the word of God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 talks about Jesus, the Son, who is the perfect representation of the Father as upholding the universe by the word of His power. Upholding the universe through His powerful word. We need the word of God more constantly than we need physical bread. We need the word of God more deeply than we need physical bread. It feeds us, not only our bodies, but our souls, our spirits, our inner beings. It feeds us. We, we don't live by bread alone, but our every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, on the, on the most basic level, yes, we are asking for physical bread, for our physical needs and, and necessities to be met. But we, are, we can ask for more than that. We can say, Lord, give me your word. And if you use the Our Father... As a daily prayer, not, not as a rhyme to say, but saying, Our Father in heaven, thank you that you're our Father. Thank you that we can be your children, etc. Give us this day, our, uh, um, hallowed be your name. Lord, we worship you that you are El Shaddai, the almighty God who can meet all our needs. That you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Um, that, that you provide everything that we need and that on the mountain of the Lord in Christ uh, our needs are met. Thank you that you are Jeho Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, who gives us the peace in the midst of the storm and the troubles of life. Thank you that you are Jehovah Rahai, the Lord our shepherd, who leads us along uh, into green pastures and, 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 and that takes care of us, that protect, your rod and your staff comfort us and protect us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow. And then you say, uh, Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come, not only in our lives, but through our lives and in people around us. Lord, I pray for my mom and my dad. I pray that they'll experience entrance into your kingdom, etc. And then you get to the place where you pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And you can ask, Lord, um, this is what I need. I need school fees for my kids. I need this, I need that, I need the other thing. But then you can also do your, your Bible study there and say, Lord, I want more than just physical bread because I know that I don't live by bread alone. Feed me with your word. I live from every word that proceeds from your mouth. Feed me from your word. And, and not only from scripture, but speak to me prophetically through your spirit. Th through scripture and directly. Speak to me, Lord, because I live um, by your word. And then finally, so we said... Um, let me just recap. We need to trust God from a childlike humility. We need to trust God as our Heavenly Father. We need to trust God as our ultimate treasure. We need to trust God for His continued provision. We need to trust God for His deeper provision. And then finally, we need to trust God for His ultimate provision. Um, all our lesser needs are intended to point us to our greatest need. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Just bring up those scriptures in, in, in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 17 and 26 say, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare to eat the Passover? Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take it. This is my body. This is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. All our lesser needs point us to our ultimate need. And what is that ultimate need? It's a need for God Himself. It's a need for God Himself. The things that God gives us, all the good things that God gives us will not ultimately, fully, and finally satisfy us. God cannot satisfy us unless He gives us Himself. God cannot fully and finally satisfy us unless He gives us his very self. And that's what Jesus does there. The new covenant. And that's what we celebrate when we have communion. Is God giving himself to still our deepest hunger. To satisfy our deepest needs and our deepest hungers. But have you ever felt the frustration of arriving at, say, a party, you know, 
whatever it, it is, maybe a wedding or a, you know, just a party, and there's great food. There's like a really amazing food, but you've just eaten and you're not hungry. <laughs> Have you ever, <laughs> I mean, there's this mouth-watering food, you know, this buffet out there, and, and it looks so great, and the people are shoving it, you know, and they're enjoying it. You can see it's like really good, and everyone's saying, wow, this is amazing, and you're like, oh, I just ate, you know, <laughs> I'm not hungry, no. <laughs> It's frustrating to have something delicious to eat, but you're not hungry for it. You know the amazing thing about Jesus, whose body was broken for us? I almost want to say he contains spiritual MSG. You know, when you eat chips, MSG is what wants you to, make you, to want to eat more, you know? <laughs> Jesus contains spiritual MSG. The more you eat of him, the more you want of him. The more you eat of him, the more hungry you become for him. And, and on the one hand, it satisfies you. It fills you to your deepest being. And you love it. But on the other hand, it, it leaves you wanting more. And it's like, I'm still hungry. <laughs> I'm satisfied. I'm content, but I'm still hungry. I want more. I want more of you, Jesus. And, and that's what makes him so good. You'll never be, satisfied. You'll, you'll, you'll never be frustrated because you've, you're not full. But you'll also never be frustrated because you don't want, you're not hungry anymore. Jesus will be our eternal satisfaction and our eternal hunger at the same time. In heaven, we're going to hunger for Him. We're going to receive Him and be filled with Him, but we're going to hunger for Him. We're going to, and that's why, I mean, you might say, okay, Lord, why do we have to have communion repeatedly? Why do you say, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me? Uh, why is there... Um, I was saying to the guys at, at um, Encounter 2 yesterday, um, there, there's no scripture in the Bible that puts any limit on how regularly we may have communion. Do you know that? In fact, the early church, it said they broke bread daily in the temple and from house to house. Daily. They had daily communion. A lot more than we do, most of us. Right? Why, if I've already received Jesus, why do I need to regularly, even daily, have communion? See, God wants us to remember that it's not good enough just to receive Him. We, we need to constantly experience the joy of receiving Him, the fulfillment of receiving Him, the reminder of how good He tastes. How fulfilling he is. You know, it's, it's one thing to be told that honey is sweet. It's another thing altogether to taste honey. And to know that honey is sweet. You know, if, if you've been told honey is sweet, you can tell it to someone else and say, you know, I've heard honey is sweet. But they're not gonna, you're not going to be able to tell him, them as well as if you've tasted honey. And if you tasted honey 30 years ago, you're not going to be able to tell someone as well how sweet and how delicious it is as if you tasted honey five minutes ago. See, Jesus wants us to constantly taste Him, experience Him, delight in Him, be filled with Him and satisfied with Him so that we can more effectively tell others about Him and say, your ultimate fulfillment you're only going to find, not in daily physical bread. Jesus will provide that too, but you'll find it in Jesus himself. In his body, which is the bread of life given for you. The true bread, which comes down from heaven, from the Father. Amen? Let's stand. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes that we're standing and just focus on the Lord. I'm trusting that the Lord has, has spoken to you this morning and that the Holy Spirit has stirred your heart. And I, I know that for each and every one of you, there's something that the Holy Spirit has been saying. And for, for each of you, it's going to be different. But I want to encourage you to respond, to, to really hear and receive what the Lord is saying to you and to respond to it. And I just want to ask first of all,
maybe there's some of you here this morning, you've, you've been receiving your daily bread from the Lord, you've been asking Him and He's been faithful in giving it to you, but you didn't maybe know to ask for more. You didn't maybe know to ask for Jesus Himself as the bread of life. And this morning you realize that all the daily bread that you eat, it, it can only fill your stomach, but it's not going to fill your heart. It's not going to satisfy you ultimately. There's, there's a deeper need, there's a deeper hunger that you have that the things that God gives you cannot satisfy, but that only God Himself can satisfy when He gives Himself to you. And the invitation of the Lord is still there where He says, Come and feed on me. Come and metaphorically eat my flesh and drink my blood. See, that, <clears throat> that verse in, in, in Matthew 26 verse 17, it, it talks about the, the feast of unleavened bread. Leaven in Scripture often, and especially in the Passover context, represents sin. Leaven is what makes bread puffy. You know, that makes it rise. And, and, and as such, it represents sin, because sin makes us puffy, <laughs> proud and puffed up. And in the Passover, you eat unleavened bread. You see, that's why Jesus on the Passover institutes the Lord's Supper and gives the Passover unleavened bread and says, this is my body broken for you. In other words, we all want to, f we all want to feed on something which is sinless, which is unleavened, if I can call it that. But there's only one truly unleavened bread, and that is Jesus himself. See, if you want to be free from sin, that leaven of sin that spreads, you've got to eat the unleavened bread of Jesus himself, which is the only antidote to sin. And all of us want to make something beautiful and sinless part of us so that we can become like it. And the only way to do that is to feed on Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jarberg. I'm the one who gave you